we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, church. It is great to see you guys, great to be here with you, however you may be here, if you're in the house, if you're at True Worth, if you're online, and speaking to people online, my my good friend Bob uh, Bulgarelli, I know you're with us online, and I know you're all the way in Philly, and we're here, but I want you to know that that we're with you in this season, and all of you, everybody, it's great to be here. Um, Before we go any further, I want to make sure... uh, if, if you're new here, if you happen to be here for the first time, or if you're joining us online for the first time, I hope, I hope that already you feel some sense of welcome, that you feel welcome in this place. Uh, and and uh, if, if you haven't done so already, if this is your first time, before you leave, stop by the Welcome Center and, and grab a, a bag. We, we have a gift for you. Uh, now, for all of us, uh, what I want us to do, I want us to begin the same way that we've begun every weekend during this series, and that's what this God Use Me Today prayer, and I hope, I hope more and more of you are answering the challenge and beginning your day with this prayer. It's a great way to to structure your day, to prepare yourself for the day, a reminder of, of what we're called to be. So with that in mind, let's go to God in prayer. God, use me today. Guide me throughout this day. Inspire my thoughts, decisions, and initiatives. Lead my thinking and behaviors, disconnect them both from all self-seeking and anything that would discredit your name. God, we surrender our agenda and all outcomes to your unlimited power. God, use us somehow to connect one more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In your Bibles, I want you to open up to to Luke 14. We're going to get there in just, just a minute. But before we do, I want to begin with a word. I want to say a word. I want to show you a word. And when you hear it, when you see it, what I want you to do is I want you to internalize it. I want you to, to take it in deeply and, and, and try to connect with it and, and think back to a memory that, that connects with this word. And then I'll just, I want to look and I want to see how you respond. Okay? Here's the word. Outcast. Just think about that word. Now, I know there's a number of you in the, in the congregation that are about my age, and so when I was asking people about this word, you know what the number one response was that I got? Let's just see the next page. I got that. Okay, yes, yes, I'm aware of the hip-hop group Outcast. So if that's where your mind went, okay, acknowledge that joke and then move beyond it. The word, though, that, that idea of being outcast, when you think about that word, what do you think of? What do you feel? What do you experience? When I was asking people about that, this, these were some of the responses that I got. Not accepted. Outsider. Not welcome. Sent away. Don't come back. Not like us. Go away. Disappear. Invisible. Worthless. In other words, it looks like this. Here's an image of what it, be, what it means to be the outcast. You see, the person's separate, not like everybody else. They're different. 
They don't belong. What are your memories? What are your experiences of being this person? Maybe, maybe you were in a family that moved around a lot, so you're always the new kid in school. Outcast. Maybe, maybe you had an area of brokenness, of public sin, that, that became, it became public knowledge. And as soon as it did, outcast. Maybe you were in a family that, that didn't make as much money as the families that you were around, so you couldn't afford to have the things that, that everybody else had. Outcast. Or maybe, maybe the thing that, that made you the outcast was actually a good thing, that you were a part of a dysfunctional family or a dysfunctional community, and you make the decision to get healthy. And when you do, outcast. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if, if you've ever been there, because we've all been there. Whether we admit it or not, we've had that feeling of not welcome, and it's a terrible, terrible feeling. When I was a kid, my brothers and I, we grew up real close with our cousins. There's about 13 of us that all grew up together, and we spent a lot of our time together, especially during the summers. And on one particular day, we're at my grandparents' house playing around outside, and it came time for lunch. And so we all gathered together. We're sitting down. We're eating lunch. And I, I can't remember what it was that I had done. I was probably four at the time. Uh, but I was probably just being a punk kid, obnoxious. But for whatever reason, my brother Matt, he raised his voice at me. He yelled at me, and he sent me away from the group. He made me the outcast. So the, this four-year-old me, I, I grab my food, and I just make my way over to another place in the yard, and I sit down, and I eat my lunch alone. Now, what's interesting is I, I had forgotten all about that experience, but Matt, he didn't. He remembered, and he told me that story later in life after we were grown up, and he told me because of how that story impacted him, and he remembered so vividly, so clearly, that picture of me alone, like how sad and rejected I must have felt in that moment, and he told me that to this day... He has a hard time having a meal by himself. Because when he does, every time he has a meal by himself, that's what he thinks about that picture of a four-year-old me sitting alone. We all have these painful memories of being the outcast, not, not belonging, not, not fitting in. And so we, we have to deal with this fear. Whether we admit it or not, we're always dealing with this fear of being the one that doesn't belong. So if I'm going to put a positive spin on it, it looks like this. In your notes, number one, everyone wants to be invited. Even if you don't plan on going. Even if you don't want to go. Even if when you get the invite, you look at the invite and you roll your eyes and you're like, like I got nothing better to do with my time. Even then, everybody wants to be invited. Whenever I graduated from grad school... I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't send out invitations because, I mean, come on. Who wants to go to a grad school graduation? It sounds like a terrible way to spend a day. I, I didn't even go. Why would I invite anybody else? But I still had family members that were upset that I didn't invite them. And I said, well, you wouldn't have been able to go. What did they say? Well, yeah, but still, it would have been nice to have been invited. Think about Birthday parties, showers, anniversaries, all of those things that you get invited to and you're like, ah, I don't want to go. 
I really don't want to go. But then think about those same types of parties that you hear about and all of your friends get invited to, but you don't. What do you feel then? Really? You see, we all have this fear of being the outcast. And because of that, we, we, we do our best to fit in, to be like everybody else, to be like the person who gets the invite so that I can be with the group. And when I'm with the group, I'm going to surround myself with people like me to make sure that I don't get sent away. And then when I'm with my people, then we can go about the business of casting others away to make sure that the group stays just like us. This is the scene that Jesus finds himself in in Luke 14. I want to pick up there in verse 1. He says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. I like this. Jesus, here he is, he's eating with the Pharisees. And I I like this story, and and here's why. You see, I think we, we make a whole lot about how the Pharisees are the bad guys, the enemy of Jesus. The opposition of Jesus, the the bad guys in the Jesus story. Yet here he is having a meal with the Pharisees. You see, I think he gives everybody a chance. I don't think Jesus got cynical about anybody. I mean, he could have easily looked at that invitation and thought, dinner with the Pharisees? (laughs) I got a lot better things to do with my time than that. But he doesn't do that. He takes the invite and he shows up. And so here he is, he's with all of these like-minded people. These are all Pharisees, religious leaders, experts in the law. And Jesus gets this this curious invite. The verse says he's being carefully watched. So you get all these religious leaders, and they're not sure what to make of Jesus. And so they send him an invite, and they're like, okay. And just kind of sizing him up to figure out, are you like us? Are you one of us? And then they sit down, and they go about doing the things that they would normally do. They argue the law. They debate the law. They discuss the law. They come up with these situations and scenarios, and they kind of go back and forth, kind of like what attorneys might do today if they're gathering together. And the conversation, it's not not what's right and what's wrong. It's it's a little more complex. They're, They're saying things like, okay, there's these two good things. Which one's the higher good? Or which one is the lesser evil? It's that kind of a conversation. And then we get to verse 2. And the plot thickens. There in front of Jesus was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And you could have heard a pin drop in that moment. All the background chatter stops. All the sidebar conversations stop. Everybody looks at Jesus in this moment and their jaws hit the floor and they're all thinking the same thing. Jesus, have you lost your mind? What are you doing? Why? Why did they do that? Here's why. What day is it? It's the Sabbath. Luke tells us that. Luke isn't just going to give us some arbitrary detail. Everything he tells us, there's a reason why it's there. So when he says, one Sabbath, he's letting you know, hey, you're about to learn something about the Sabbath that's going to challenge what you think about it. And then who is Jesus with? with? He's with the Pharisees. And what are they doing? They're hanging out. It's all the cool kids, the in crowd, the people who fit in, the ones who got invited. They're all hanging out. And what are they doing? They're discussing the law. The finer points of the law. Chances are some of the conversations they were having, 
had to do with the situation of what that man was dealing with that had just walked up. I want to, I'll put it this way for you. I'll paint the picture this way. It would be the same thing if a group of pastors say, you know, let's go meet for lunch. And they meet up at downtown Fort Worth during the week and they're having lunch. And they're doing what pastors would do. They're talking about scripture. They're talking about prayers and things about uh, the world and conflict and issues and, and how, what the Bible has to say about it. Maybe talking about the impoverished, the outcast, all of these sort of things. And in that moment, a homeless man walks by. And very quickly, everybody at the group, they all start to get quiet. They kind of look down, and they're just hoping that this homeless man doesn't notice them. And this homeless man just keeps walking by. That's the moment. Except in this moment, Jesus is at the table, and Jesus is like, no, 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 don't stop the conversation. Let's keep it going. Hey, and he sees a homeless guy and says, hey, buddy, could you, could you come over here for a second? Do, do you have a minute? Come here, because, hey, believe it or not, we were just talking about a situation just like what you're in. And I'm curious, hey, hey, guys, remember we were talking about the situation with this man. Hey, what, what does the law say about this man right here? And how did the Pharisees respond? They couldn't say a word. Why? Why, why, why were they speechless? Because the situation was just so insanely awkward, and they hated it. This is almost a universal human condition. In your notes, number two, everyone wants to avoid awkward moments. We do. But not Jesus. That's not him at all. This is one of the reasons that I, I love Jesus He's not afraid of the awkward. He goes straight into the awkward. He dives straight into the awkward, the uncomfortable, the, the messy. He lives there. And just a heads up, if you're, if you're new in your journey and following Jesus, prepare yourself for the awkward because it's coming. The story continues. Verse 4, the Pharisees remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. So Jesus breaks the awkward barrier, and he adds to it by allowing the silence to just sit there. And think about it. It's an awkward moment, and he makes it even more awkward. He's just like, I'm just going to ask this question. I'm just going to sit. Let that silence kind of drive you nuts. I'm going to let that question just kind of bounce around in your head, see if it can make its way down to your heart. Nobody offers him an answer about healing on the Sabbath. So he takes a hold of the man, heals him, sends him on his way. You got all that? So th this, is a, this is a good insight into who Jesus is. Pay attention to this story. So let's, let's recap. A group of like-minded people, experts in the law, they're hanging out, the cool kids, the Pharisees, the, the rabbis, and they send an invite to Jesus. And so he's like the new guy at the table. Do you remember what it's like to be the new guy, the new kid in town? Do you, you remember what that's like? You do what you can to try to blend in with everybody else. And it looks something like this. You remember the character from before? He's further from the group, and he's like solid blue. But as he inches closer to the group, what does he do? He hides a little bit of that blue. He shows more of that gray to say, hey, I'm like you guys. We're alike. We're not so different. Don't worry about the differences. Think about 
if you can think back to the last time you went on a first date, you probably did something like that, right? You, you, I mean, who goes on the first date and says, hey, here's why I'm broken. Here's all the messy things about me. No, you don't do that because you want a second date. You hide all the brokenness and you say, these are the best parts about me. These are the parts about me that are just like you. See, we belong together. That's what you do. Is that what Jesus is doing? No, he's not doing this at all. He's the new guy, but he breaks the social rule. He dives into the awkward. He talks about the suffering man asks the people at the party about the suffering man right in front of him, lets the silence linger, breaks another social rule and makes contact with someone who's unclean, and then goes back to the party and says, hey, pass the potatoes. And everybody's like, what's going on? What do we do? What do we do? They don't know. But he doesn't stop there. He, he pushes the situation even further. He, he knows the emotion at the table. He reads the room and he responds to the emotion there. And he pushes the question even further. There in verse 5, it says, Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And again, they had nothing to say. Jesus is doing a terrible, terrible job at trying to fit in. If you, try, if you want to fit in, don't be like Jesus. It won't work. It's a terrible plan. It's like Jesus is, he's, he's letting the group know, he's belting it out from a bullhorn. I'm not like you. I don't fit in here. I don't, not at all. And as he's doing that, he renders the group speechless. They can't say a word. But why? Here's why. Here's why. Jesus is hanging out with the cool kids. And he breaks the rules. It wasn't done this way. This wasn't how it was done. This is how it was done. The religious leaders, they would hang out, and then they would, they would discuss things. They would talk about things. They would talk about religious theories. They would talk about the prophets, and they would talk about suffering. And they would do it in a clean, sterile, pristine environment, safely removed from the suffering of the world, a place where suffering was just an idea. And that's how it was done. But Jesus says, no, no, that's not how I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to talk about religious theory. I'm not going to talk about suffering. I'm going to talk with the suffering. And then he turns their theory into practice. And he says, hey, we're all talking law here. What does your law say about this man right here, this guy standing right in front of you? Not the hypothetical guy, not the theoretical guy, but this man right here, the one whose his heart beats. His blood pumps through his body the same as you and me. What does your law say about him in this moment, right now? See, it's a, it's a lot easier to talk religious theory and ideas and talk about suffering and do it in a sterile, safe, secure environment. But guess what? That's not the experience of Jesus. The experience of Jesus doesn't happen where suffering is an idea. The experience of Jesus happens when you're right in the middle of the suffering, the junk of the world. That's where you find Jesus. And that's where he lives. And because that's where he lives, that's the kind of party he's throwing. He's not throwing the, the safe, secure, pristine kind of party. He's throwing a very different kind of party altogether. And then he tells the story of the kind of party that he's throwing. We call it the parable of the great banquet. 
There in verse 15. It's a story of a man who, who, who throws a party and he invites all of his friends and his family. But the time for the party came. And all of his friends, they had different reasons for coming, for not being able to come to the party. Verse 18, one guy said, hey, I, I just bought a field. I need to go check it out. Please excuse me. Verse 19, another guy said, hey, I just bought some oxen. I, I need to go check them out. Please excuse me. And then verse 20, another man said, well, I just got married. I can't go. This is my high seminary, highly educated interpretation of what's happening here. These people were invited to a party. And the response is this. I'm sorry I can't come. I'm washing my hair. I'll make this really clear. It would be like if you invited me to a party. And I say, I'm sorry I can't come. I'm washing my hair. Got it? Okay. So 21, the, the master sends the servant out. And he says, go to the streets, go to the alleys of the town, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And he sends a servant out a second time to make sure that his house was full. Not full with the right kind of people, but full of people who were just excited to get the invite. People that were happy to say, wow, somebody wants me somewhere. I belong somewhere. I, I'm welcome somewhere. And his house was full. There wasn't an empty seat at the table. You see, this is the Jesus party. It's a party where everybody gets the invite. It doesn't matter who you are. In your notes, number three, at the Jesus party, everyone gets the invite. Nobody gets left out. When I was a kid, I remember Thanksgiving was always a big holiday in my family. A lot of clear memories of Thanksgiving at my Nana's house. I mean, obviously the food, the food was always really good. The pies, the cranberry sauce, the cowboys, the whole thing. I've got so many vivid memories of Thanksgiving Day. But one of the things that sticks out as I look back is every year there was always somebody at the table who wasn't in the family. It was either a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, what a, some, some connection in that way. And then when my brothers and I went to college, my mom and my Nana would always ask us before Thanksgiving, they would say, hey, who are you bringing to Thanksgiving? Now, why would they ask that? Well, they knew there'd be a lot of food. They didn't want any food to go to waste. They didn't want an empty seat at the table. But also they did it because they knew we were in college and that we had friends who had moved away from home to go to college. And some of them didn't have the opportunity to go back home for Thanksgiving. And my mom and my nana, they hated the idea of any of our friends being alone on Thanksgiving. And so they would tell us, hey, who are you inviting? It was like a reminder. Hey, go invite somebody. Bring somebody to the table. Let them know that they're welcome at this table. The parable of the great banquet, the Jesus party, the master of the party, he's got one wish. What was it? Take a look at verse 23. So then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He wanted his party to be full. Why? Because that's what makes it a party. When everybody gets the invite, something happens when people are in true community. They're together. So you can talk about people all day long, but something happens when you're with people in the flesh, that dinner party. With the Pharisees, it changed 
The moment suffering was no longer an idea. It changed the moment suffering became a man standing right in front of him. I can't explain it. But something happens when we are together in true community at the Jesus party where everybody gets the invite. See, we're all so afraid. We're afraid of being the outcast. I want you to see the image again from the beginning of being the outcast. Well, what are we afraid of? We look at that picture, we see things like lonely, alone, sad, rejected. We look at everybody else, we think, man, that, that looks like so much fun. That party that they're having over there. If I could just get the invite, why can't I go? We don't want that to be us. But here's the thing. If in this moment, if we can shed our desire to get back with the crowd, if we can shed our desire to change who we are to try to fit in, we find Jesus. That's where we find Jesus. We don't find Jesus in the crowd. The party that Jesus is throwing is with the outcasts, the social rejects. If you think I'm lying, think about the disciples. Who were they? A group of fishermen and a tax collector. These were not the cool kids. And Jesus starts a party with them and changes the world. I want to I point something out that, that we often miss when we look at this passage, and that's this. Jesus performs two miracles in this story, two healings. The first one is obvious. The man with dropsy, the suffering man, he heals the man of his suffering. But what about the second? What was the second miracle? It happens at the same time, right under our noses, and we miss it because we're not paying attention. He heals the Pharisees. You see, he heals the man of a physical disability, but he heals the Pharisees of a social disability. Because you see, in that moment, whether any one of them would have admitted it or not, every one of them at that table was dealing with the fear of being that person that was cast out. Every one of them, all of those powerful people, all of the power mongers are worried about being the one that's not with the group, being sent away. And in that moment, for all of them, and in this moment, for all of us, as we're dealing with that fear, Jesus heals us from this social disability, saying, hey, if the group kicks you out, don't sweat it. It's okay. Because when they do, I'm going to be with you. And together, we're going to throw a much better kind of a party. A party where you get to be you. You get to be the best version of you. And when more people see this kind of a party, they're going to realize how lame the party is that they're at. And gradually, they're going to leave their party, and they're going to come to ours, and it's going to look like this. A party where everybody gets to be who they are, and they're all gathered in the name of Jesus, a place where everybody belongs. Jesus says, hey, don't worry about trying to fit in over there because you belong here. At that party over there, everybody's pointing fingers at each other saying, you're broken, you don't fit in. No, you're broken. But at my party, everybody walks into the party saying, hey, I'm broken. And then somebody else says, yeah, me too. So am I. And at this party, because of this radical hospitality, because of this humility, you get to become the best version of you, one that's not like anybody else. 
at a party where you're not trying to be like anybody else, you're encouraged to grow to be like Jesus. Which party do you want to go to? Just so we're clear, that's the kind of party we need to be throwing every weekend here. This, this is how I want to finish. I want to give you a few quick things. What does it mean to be a Jesus follower? And the first one is this, letter A, dive into the awkward. Jesus followers dive into the awkward. It amazes me how much energy we lose trying to avoid awkward situations or navigating around them. I, I asked a lot of people this week about some of their least favorite awkward situations, and I got some interesting responses, but this was my number one response. Hey, Brad, can I borrow you for a second? Sure. Come on up here, Brad. Hey, Jack, you got to mute my mic for just a second. We got we to gotta talk through this. This is the most awkward moment that people hate. What do we do? How do we navigate around that? And almost just as bad as when somebody's going in for the handshake and the other person's going in for the hug and you, you realize that... <laughs> but guess what? Brad and I just did that. Do this. Check your pulse. You alive? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we're both good. Thank you, buddy. We survived. It's a miracle. My, my least favorite is this. I hate this moment so much. If I see you out in public, if I, if, I, if I see you at the grocery store, and I know you, and I come up to you, and I talk to you, hey, how you doing? Doing great? Cool. That's cool. And after a couple of minutes, after, you know, a, a decent amount of time, I'll say, oh, what? have a great day. I'll see you at church next weekend. And then I'll walk away, and then I'll go down the next aisle, and <laughs> there you are again. <laughs> Hi. Do we have the same conversation we just had before? What do we do? I don't know what we do here. I have left grocery stores without necessary items just to avoid that situation. <laughs> what if we just agreed to cut ourselves some slack and be okay with awkward moments and just laugh it off and say, well, that was fun, and move on? The better we get at doing that, the better we get at connecting with people, which takes me to the second one, letter B. Jesus' followers always look for someone to invite. The great banquet, how did the, how did the party get so full? In verse 21, the master sent out the servant. That's you and me. We are the servants. The master could have won it all day long for his party to be full, but if he doesn't send the servant to, to invite, guess what? His party's empty. God is sending us. We are the servants that we go out. We invite people. If you... If you haven't already gotten it, Jeff mentioned this. If you got the card, the invitation for November 7th, if you've already got one and it's still in your possession, I, I want to encourage you, don't let this collect dust in your car or on the kitchen counter or on the fridge. Give it to somebody. We look at this and we think it's just a piece of paper. But it's not. You've got to think about what's on the other side of this piece of paper. What's on the other side of that invitation? And you don't know. But it could be the very thing that changes somebody's life. Every one of us is here because somebody else dealt with the uncomfortable, dealt with the awkward, and invited us. Here's a few things to listen for. If, you, if you're not sure how to invite, listen for three things. I'm new here. Not prepared for this. Things aren't going well. 
If you hear any one of those three things, an alarm should go off in your mind. You hear, I, I'm new here. Hey, would you, would you be open to coming to church with me on Sunday? I'd like to invite you to, uh, to come to church and, and introduce you to some other people, some, some friends of mine, so you, you can know more people. And this place that seems so foreign to you will, will be a little less foreign as you, as you get to meet new people. Hey, uh, I'm not prepared for this. Like, would, you, would you be open to coming to church with me? Because I know some people that have been where you are. And I bet they'd love to talk to you. They'd love to connect with you. And they'd love to give you the benefit of their experience. They could tell you if, if they could do it over again, if they were in your shoes, what they would do different. Would you, would you be open? Things aren't going well. Hey, could you say a little more about that? I'd like to hear more about what's not going well for you. Would you be interested in coming with me to church? I'm curious. I wonder if there's anything that we, my church community can do to help support you, to come alongside you during this, this season where things aren't going well. What's the worst that can happen in the, those scenarios? They say no. Okay. But what about if they say yes? But it doesn't just stop there. In your notes, letter C, Jesus' followers are passionate about welcoming. You see, it's not enough just to invite somebody. If I said, hey, I'll, I want to have you over for dinner, 6 o'clock at my house. And then you show up at 6 o'clock, and I'm not at the door. But I've got the door open, and so you walk in, and as soon as you walk in, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm watching TV. And I see you, and I don't get up off the couch, I just... I kind of nod in your vicinity, and then I, I, I point to the dining room, and I say, hey, dinner's on the table. And then I go back to watching TV, because that's what I do. I mean, it's, it's evening. I, I sit at that couch, and I watch that TV. I watch that show. That's what I do. But you're invited. You can go have dinner. Do you feel welcome in that moment? No, you don't. But sometimes that's how we make pe people feel welcome here. We say, hey, come to church. But then when Sunday comes, what do we do? We park in the same spot. And we walk in the same door, and we sit in the same chair, and we talk to the same people, and we go and we leave the same door, and we do everything the same way because that's what we do. That's our routine. That's our pattern. You see, if I want you to feel welcome at my house, I'm not just going to invite you to dinner. I'm going to find out, hey, what do you like? What are some meals that you like? So I can cook something that I know you're going to like, and then at 6 o'clock, I'm going to be at the door. I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to invite you into my home. I'm going to offer to take your coat. I'm going to ask you if you need anything. I'm going to show you to your seat at the table. I'm going to serve you dinner. And then I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to ask you questions. Hey, tell me something about you that I don't know. I want to do my best to get to know you. You see, when you invite somebody here, you are counting on me to help them feel welcome. When I invite somebody here, I am counting on you to help them feel welcome. To break the routine, to break the pattern, to go and find somebody who maybe looks lost or looks new. And I think, you know what, I'm going to do what I can so that when this person leaves today, they know they're welcome here. They weren't just invited, but they're welcome here. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. Just yesterday, I saw, I, I saw a great picture of what it looks like to welcome somebody. And I took a picture of it, and I sent it to the guys upstairs. I'll explain the picture to you, because it's just my son and my friend Joe Carpenter. Joe plays drums on Saturday. And he plays here every Saturday. 
He's got a rhythm. He's got a thing that he does. He goes to rehearsal, they take a break, they do a run-through, take another break, and then they have the service. That's what they do. But yesterday, he sees my son with a drum pad and a couple of drumsticks. What does he do? He breaks the pattern. He breaks the routine. He walks over to my son, and he takes a moment from his break to be with my son and just show him a few things. This is what it looks like to welcome somebody, to get out of your comfort zone, to break your routine, to go connect with somebody else completely unprepared un and unsolicited, and you just see an opportunity and you take advantage. This is what we're called to do. And this is why this is so important. You see this word behind me, one more, one more, and you hear it a lot, one more, one more. This is why it's so important. That's, that's who we are. We're passionate about one more, one more person, one more connection, one more experience, not with me, not with the church, but with an experience of Jesus Christ. Because every one more experience with Jesus, that's one more person that knows that they're welcome. One more person knows they belong. One more person that feels like their life matters. It's one less moment of depression, one less moment of anxiety, one less moment of feeling like nobody cares about me. And not only that, as we were visiting this week, talking about the why behind one more, and I'm trying to figure out why that's so important, and the, this image came to my mind, and it was the image of my, my kids. And this experience that I have with them every day at the dinner table, my wife and I and my, our two kids, and I'm not the best father. I know I'm not. But, man, I love being a dad. That's one of my favorite things that I get to be. And I love my kids something fierce. I'm crazy about my kids. And throughout all my faults, they know. They know that they're loved. They know at that table they're safe, they're welcome, they're secure. They get the opportunity to grow. They got the opportunity to be the best versions of themselves. And they know that no matter what, I'm in their corner. I'm never leaving their corner. I'm always going to keep fighting for them, no matter what. But in that same moment, I think, how many kids are sitting at a very different kind of a table, a table where they don't feel those things, a table where they don't feel loved, where they don't feel like they're challenged to grow, and it breaks my heart. It's not just a piece of paper. That one invitation could be the one thing that turns it around for the parents where they realize they start to figure it out. They start to get it together. And then the kid starts to understand, wow, my life does matter. I do have hope. Wouldn't you exchange one brief possible moment of awkwardness for the sake of some kid to realize that he's loved? It's not just a piece of paper. That's how I want to finish. I, I, I want to take you through a time of prayer. So I want you to get comfortable, and I want you to, to close your eyes, and I want you to think about the space that you're occupying right now. And this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think about who is that person in your world? Who is that outcast? The person that, that if you saw here at church, your first response would be, what are you doing here? Who is that person? The person that you feel like doesn't fit in, doesn't belong here. Who are they? What's their name? Or maybe it's the person that, that just drives you crazy. You just, you care 
to not spend any time with. Who is that person? What I want you to do is that I want you to take the person, I want you to imagine that person right now sitting in the seat, in the space that you currently occupy, sitting in your seat. And I want you to imagine that in that same moment, you're somewhere else in the building, and you can see this. You can see that person sitting in your chair. And I want you to imagine that in that moment, you turning to God, and you saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That you see that moment of that outcast, the person that you don't want to be around, the person that you don't like, or the person that's burning you, whoever it is, taking your seat at church, and you seeing it as a moment of victory. And then I want you to ask yourself and ask God, God, what needs to change inside of me to get there, to make that happen, to be okay with that? Being called to invite, called to welcome, it begins with the transformation of our own hearts, what God needs to do within us to give us the same heart for other people that we have for our own kids. Father God, thank you that no matter what, you keep inviting us. You keep making us feel welcome. You keep pointing us to our seat at the table. No matter what we do, time and time and time again, you keep at it, you keep at it. You don't give up on us. You continue to invite us. You continue to encourage us to grow. You, can, you continue to show us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you don't give up on us. So, Father, I pray that, that you keep those moments before us as a reminder of what it is that we are called to do in the world, to be ambassadors of your grace and your hospitality, to continue to find people and show them to their seat at the table with you, with the relationship with you. Father, give us a heart for those that we often miss. Give us a heart for those people that we don't see that are invisible. And give us the strength, the, the courage to step into those awkward moments and develop relationships with people out in the community to continue to connect one more and one more to a relationship with you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, grab a, grab a card, invite somebody. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.